listening to the Food Talk Show. Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson and for the next 30 minutes we're going to be talking all things food and drink. I'm joined by my fellow presenter Jane Payton, who is one of the UK's leading experts on beer and cider. But we're not doing beer and cider today. No, we're going to do sparkling wine and still wine. And not just any sparkling wine or still wine. Kent. Of course, um, of Kent. And um, we've got guests today. We've got Jackie Wilkes of Turlingham Vineyard. Hi, Jackie. Hi. And Laura Reese of Gusborne. Hi. And Karen Kearns of Wayfarer Wines. I've never tasted your wines, Karen, so this is going to be a first. Very exciting. Very, 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 very exciting. So, Jane, um, uh, Kent, Surrey, Sussex, literally the landscape has physically changed, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and now there are vineyards uh, all over the place good thing? Is this a good thing? It's a fantastic thing because um, wine has been made, vines have been grown in England for, for centuries and now we're just coming into our pomp, especially with the sparkling wines and what's wonderful about this part of England is that it's very similar landscape and soils to the Champagne region. So the Grapes that grow here grow on very similar terrain to Champagne. So it's kind of that chalky sort of uh, well, we were used to be joined to France, presumably, from prehistoric times. Must exactly. have been the land bridge. So it's, it's um, similar soils and, and chalk, chalk landscape, which is perfect for making or growing the grapes that go into sparkling wines. But the real difference is our weather has changed, hasn't it? It has, and it's changed over centuries, actually. So, um, you know, we've had eras of warm weather and mini ice ages, and now we're in again in, in this... Um, weather pattern where we can ripen grapes in this part of the world. There's something else that we have to factor in as well. It's the North Atlantic drift, so it's the Gulf Stream, which makes it warm enough or temperate enough in this country to ripen some of the grapes that make our our wines. So I I didn't realise that the first sparkling wine made in England was recorded in 1662. I mean, I thought it was a recent thing, but, but, but sparkly has been a British taste for a while. It has actually, and, and the earliest sparkling wine in this country wouldn't have been wine grown in this no, country. No, it wasn't made here though. <laughs> no, it was imported from the Champagne region, and Champagne wines at the time were still wines. We have to thank cider makers, West Country cider makers, for purposely sparkling a drink, which was cider. Anything that was sparkling was considered to be a fault in the making process, and so something purposely sparkled was like, hmm... And then so, imp- right, so so that was seen as a sort of mistake. Somehow. It was seen as a mistake that you get your, your temperature wrong, your fermentation will get out of control. The French called it le vin du diable, the devil's wine, because oh. bottles exploded and killed people in some cases, blinded them. So purposely sparkling wine was an English invention. Ah, well, there you go, you see. Didn't know that. And, and um, the first sparkling wine grown with local grapes was in the 50s, 1950s. Yes, and it was in this part of the world, Kent. Of course and, it is. You know, of course it would be. England. Of course it would be. And now there are at least 500 vineyards in England, Wales, and growing uh, quite quickly. And then some of them are obviously very, very different sizes. Um, and, and apparently vineyards are doubling since 2007, the, the, the number of vineyards. So it just shows um, how, how amazing it is. Um, and I believe, I believe it's true that... Um, uh, the champagne houses, uh, Tassinger and Pomery, are starting to move over here and buy up land be- because actually, that the champagne region region is is becoming more difficult to to get sustained 
good quality vintages every year because because the weather's so difficult. Is that true? <laughs> yes, and you know they they realise that the sparkling wines made here in England are really top quality. They're world class, some of them. So they're very sensibly uh, getting on on the act here. Of course, they can't call it champagne if it's grown here, and we don't have a name unfortunately for English sparkling wine, which is a bit I think mouthful. We need a wine, we, we need do. a name because English sparkling. I don't know. It just doesn't sound right to me. I mean, mm. I know some people suggest it be called Breton or, or, or Albion. Don't know where that come from. Mm. But we need a moniker for it, don't we? We do. Cause, I'm cause quite good on names actually. I'm going to make one then. up. Not just this moment, oh, but I'll have a think. Pop one out of the air. Pop one out of the air. So um, I'm going to talk first to Laura of Gusborne. Now, um, I really like your packaging and your branding. It just smacks of being really cool and a bit, a bit upper class, I would say. Would you? Very like much understated. So. Understated, quite really, chic. yeah, really chic and and, and cool. Um, Gusborne, um, how how long? I, I I know that the estate is in Appledore, which isn't very far from here. Um, and it dates back to 1410, which is extraordinary, really. Um, and the de Gooseborn, de Gooseborn family, which is where that sort of little logo comes from, that sort of goose thing. Um, and uh, that's part of the company logo. But I think really it's since 2004 is when it's taken off in the way it has today. Yeah, absolutely. So... Um we first planted our vineyards in 2004. Um, prior to that, um, Gus Estate was mostly arable land. Um, and of course, yes, dates back to 1410, um, when we knew that it was John de Gooseborne. Um, we found his old family crest in Appledore. And then he decided to... To plant vines. Yeah. So, so when we're talking about, in inverted commas, champagne, whatever, you've got to think up a name for the new thing. Um, it's generally three grapes, traditionally, isn't it? So, so Chardonnay, which, which always makes me laugh when people go, oh, I don't drink Chardonnay. Yeah, but you like champagne, so that's, <laughs> and you like Burgundy, so that's rubbish. Um, so, so there's the Chardonnay grape, which, which seems to be growing over here quite nicely. Yep. Uh, Pinot Meunier. Yes. don't know what that is in anything else. And Pinot Noir, which a lot of people are very familiar with. Yeah. So it's a combination of red and white grapes. Yeah, uh, of course. And um, and they all bring something different to the, the final product if, if, it's a, if it's a blend of all three varietals. Um, we press very gently. So we have pneumatic presses um, in the winery, which will press um, the juice out of the grape without giving any particular colour if we don't want it to. So that's how we can use Pinot Noir and, uh, and Pinot Meunier. So basically you don't bruise it too much so that the, the, the skin colour doesn't get through to the final final drink. Yeah, exactly. And, and really all of the, um, or, or much of the colour um, will come from the skin itself and not from the juice. So Pinot Noir and Meunier, they're both quite um, uh, light-skinned grapes, if you like, mm. unlike something like Syrah or Cabernet. Yeah, because Pinot Noir is quite a, a light-coloured mm. red, isn't it? Um, uh, Jackie, at Turlingham, do you use those three grapes to create yours as well, that very traditional combination? Yeah. yeah, yeah. so we've got um, the same the same three, the Noble Blend. The Noble yeah. Blend. And do you squeeze gently? Very gently. You, uh, you do. You want to get that first run of juice. Juice. So, um, do you mind if we open one of your bottles that you bought? Are you good at opening bottles of champagne? Um, sparkling wine. See, there you go again. Oh, got to get do that you reckon? Have a good day. Let's okay. So, Jane, while we're doing that, um, you, you're a drinks expert. Um, when you have a bottle of, of, of sparkling, should we just call it fizz? That might be mm. so, as, our, mm. as our descriptor. So if you have a bottle of fizz, um, what's the best way to open up the, the, you know, open the cork? And, and more precisely, what is the best glass to drink out of? 
I love opening um, fizz. Well, you might as well have to give it to her then, because she obviously wants to show off. No, I I, I like watching other people do it as well. I'm a voyeur in that respect. And uh, Laura did it beautifully, and she opened it with a whisper, and then she sniffed the cork, which I love doing as well. So, so why, so, so why should it not go pop? You know, and it all spouts everywhere. That feels like the celebration thing. Yeah, I mean, people wasting wine like that. It's just, it's a crime against the wine. (laughs) Crime against humanity. Crime against humanity, and. um, so yes, pour. very gently open it yes. and um, discreetly open it. Like but you that. turn the bottle, not the cork? Or does that matter? Well, I just Don't. do whatever I want, really. really. But, but um, you just do it very slowly, so it literally goes... Whispers. 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 Right. And then... Um, and then Laura's... look how Laura's pouring it. She's holding the bottle at the bottom like that, not grabbing it by the neck. Ah. She is a seasoned pourer. So basically, this. Laura has her hand... Underneath its bottom, mm-hmm. basically. The punt the of punt. the bottle. Um, your bottles are very um, wide at the base, aren't they? Mm. Yeah. And you do that purpose so that you can just grab hold of them to pour, probably. <laughs> um, I think it was... Um, uh, the shape was, was more, in some respects, partly to do with the style, but also in terms of the lees ageing and how the lees interact with the wine in different shape bottles. Um, and then um, we um, use... Laura, what are the lees? Sorry, they're the... Sorry. So um, when we do the second fermentation inside the bottle, which is the traditional method of sparkling wine production that we're talking about with Gusborn, um, uh, the lees are the byproduct of, of the yeast, essentially. <clears throat> so um, we, um, we bottle the wine as still. We add a little bit of sugar and a little bit of yeast. Um, put a crown cap on like a beer cap um, and that starts the second fermentation which um, which brings the bubbles and brings the fizz into the wine. The lees are the byproduct of that second fermentation and they're very very thin very powdery almost like talcum powder kind yeah. of uh, um, texture. Um, we age the wine on the lees um, which builds more um, texture more complexity more elegance as well. Um, the Blanc de Blanc which I just poured was 42 months on the lees. Right. And that's um, so. I, I, I'm going to turn to you, Jackie, to, to see if it's exactly what you do too in, in, in a minute, um, and we'll, we'll have a taste. Um, uh, but that's not the way you make prosecco, is it? This is the way that you make, I would call proper fizz that that, that we used to, which is why you have the price point that you do. So it's not really fair, is it, to compare prosecco and other things with this because actually the whole of uh, of the manufacturing is, is really different, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I would describe Prosecco as a more industrial product. It's fermented and um, finished in in large tanks, whereas Laura is just describing how it's fermenting in the bottle for the secondary fermentation, ageing in the bottle, having to be turned, riddled, to it's there's a lot of it's very high maintenance and there's a lot of yeah. um, activity that goes on, which factors into the price point and the tradition of, of making these wines. They're called traditional method, by the way. So do we want to take a little slap? Um, Jane's smelling hers first. She's very good. She always smells stuff first. Well, I'll just go straight in. <laughs> well, um, because we um, taste our we taste our food and drink through the nose, basically, most of it. So we need to sniff it actively or inactively. Now, you, what you get in there is that lovely brioche, that sort that of bready very, characteristic, ooh. which is coming from the lees, as, as Laura was talking about earlier, being aged on, on those yeast cells and lees. Lovely. Jane's having a good old smell. And, and just um, while you're doing that, 
Yeah. So good. So good. Grapefruit. Gorgeous. Very good. Um, and, and again, what? sorry, what glass do you think? Now, so most people would do it in a flute, but you don't agree with that, do well, you? Well, we're drinking out of a flute, and that's a traditional thing to do nowadays. But what I would do, the ideal glass would be one with a bowl on a stem, but with a bowl where the bubbles can congregate and start releasing and the narrow the glass would be narrow at the neck so the bubbles have been directed up your nose the bubbles contain a lot of aromatic and flavor compounds. so that will accentuate the smell exactly and the whole point of a sparkling wine is the sparkle and you get it, it's called nittiness, by the way, this is, this lovely sparkle. And if you get it tickling your nose, that is part of, of drinking it. Because right. it's not just tasting when we drink sparkling wine, it's a sensation that we get as well. Yeah. It's like crisps have to crisps. be crisps. They have to be crisps and have the crunch. Otherwise, there's no point to them. Mm. Same with sparkling wine. You've got to get those bubbles. Jackie, what do you think of this? Um, as, as I, I'm it's sure it'll be different from yours. I'm going to taste yours in a minute. It's absolutely lovely. I mean, we know you guys very well. We um, we drink a lot of your stuff <laughs> for market research purposes. Of course, of course. <laughs> um, and I always enjoy a, a lovely Gus Bourne. Yeah. Mm. And and very distinctive, buttery, briochey, biscuity. I, I would say. Mm. And then that citrus coming through as well mm. at the end. Yes, and it's. For, I'm getting a lot grapefruit. of grapefruit actually. Yeah. On it. Normally I, I get too. lemon with um, sparkling ones, but for this I'm getting a lot of grapefruit, which is. Right up my street. Mm. Thank you very much. Karen, does it meet with your approval? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's delicious. I think it's really delicate and it's got that lovely kind of uh, lingering um, quality to it, which I think is always a sign of a really good wine. Mm. Great. So we're going to open a bottle of Turlingham. We've got, you've bought two there. Uh, yeah, um, I wasn't sure Jackie. which one. Um, so what have we got? We've got a pinky. We do. We've got our rosé and we've got um, a white. What um, do you fancy? Let's go for a pink, should we? Should we do it for a little yes. pinky? Right, so while you're doing that, uh, we'll carry on drinking the Gusborne, if that's all right. Can you, um, you, you can multitask, can't you? Can you, um, can you explain how you get rosé and that beautiful colour uh, 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 in, in fizz? So it's all about the skin contact. So um, as we were saying earlier, you do that very gentle first press. It, the juice that comes out is white. But if you want a rosé, you can put the skins back on. Um, and you've got a fair amount of control at that point, um, you know, to look at how much of that colour and flavour you want to come through. So it's not a colouring that you've added. It's it's it's, it's all just in the in the grapes. It'll come from the Pinot Noir and the Pinot Meunier. So you use exactly the same grapes, exactly the same process, but you're a little bit rougher when you're squeezing them. It's a little bit more. <laughs> it's a little bit more intense. Um, but Ooh, it's you weren't as good at very opening much it as Laura, a, by the way. <laughs> no, I wasn't. <laughs> yeah. It's, there's a very delicate balance. Um, so, yeah, it's a, this is our 2019, so we've just released it. Um, it's very exciting to share it with you guys. It's great. So while, um, while we're having a pour, um, just tell us a little bit about the history of Turning, because your parents uh, came over from South Africa. That's I love right. go- I'm going to South Africa again this winter <laughs> because I just love going around all the all the things there. And and so that's that's your mum and dad, Graham and Lorna. Um, and they bought the vineyard near Liminge, which is just outside uh, Folkestone, um, and in, in 2007. So not 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 that much different uh, uh, from the Gusborne guys, really. Um, and you, the vines were already planted when you got there. So it only just sort of got going. 
And you've got two other sisters who are involved as well. I do, yeah. So it's a real kind of family affair. Um, and it's it started off just as a, a bit of an adventure. We didn't have a winemaking background in South Africa. We just sort of moved over all together and spent a few years you know, settling down, finding our feet. And then my parents found uh, Folkestone, they fell in love, and they found the house. And there was an opportunity to take it with the vineyard. Uh, so we thought, let's have an adventure. Even though they knew nothing about <laughs> it. I mean, that's um, it mad. Was, we did wonder if we were a bit mad. Mm. Um, but the, the the family who had planted it just before us, they did a wonderful handover. My dad went uh, to Plumpton College for of course. a bit, yep. <laughs> which was great. Uh, we teased him about doing his homework. <laughs> yeah. And the rest, we've just kind of picked it up as we go. Uh, we've worked with some wonderful winemakers, some amazing agronomists. Uh, the, the nice thing about the industry is it's very supportive. Yeah. Uh, especially in the last kind of five years, particularly the amount of experience and knowledge has just exploded, um, you know, in the UK. So we have a lot of amazing people we can draw on. I mean, I really the, the thing I really like about, about food producers, food and drink producers unlike any other sector I've worked in, is they are so collaborative and they all help each other. Um, uh, uh, and I just don't know any other sector that's like that. It's amazing. So do you want to have a taste, Jane? Mm. Look, can you describe the colour? I mean, it's literally rose. It is absolutely a, a rose colour, very, very delicate rose. It's like a dusty pink almost, isn't it? And lovely bubbles coming up. And on the nose, you can smell acidity and a little bit of pinkiness yeah i would say this is slightly more lemony not so biscuity did would you say that i would actually so mm. you're not getting those brioche notes but you're getting possibly some red fruit maybe a raspberry possibly yes a little bit laura what's your take on this it is slightly different isn't it from there are so many different amazing fizzes and, and they've all got their own taste profile they do, and I think we're really starting to see this now and, and, and to see the diversity within the English and Welsh <coughs> wine scene, I think, and, and with producers producing different styles uh, all over the country. Um, I love this. I think it's super fresh, really elegant, really delicate, and, and I love that red fruit character. You said raspberry, and, and that's it. It's kind of raspberry and red currant and, and um, something slightly citrus but more like orange coming behind too it's it's a lovely one i can pick that up actually yeah mm -hmm. i can pick that up um now also what I, th I find fascinating at the moment is you know when we first used to have sparkling wine probably 10 12 years ago i did feel that the the winemakers were trying to copy or or, or develop their flavors you know with champagne in mind it does feel to me like English sparkling now is developing its own taste profile. It's grown up and it's it's being bold and confident enough now to almost have its own taste. And I, I'm finding it much more authentic, funnily enough, than things like Moe and Shondon and you know, because I think they've just they've got too bland and too you know, they don't reflect the terroir like these do. So every year these will change very slightly. Yes, um, I suppose something like Moete Chandon is probably blended to give it this standardised exactly. taste profile because it's a commodity rather than being a product of love from a small maker, which will change each year and reflect the seasons or reflect that year's vintage. Mm. Yes, I think winning all the awards that some of the English sparkling wines have done must have given other makers here real confidence, confidence yeah. that we make great sparkling wines so that confidence breeds confidence as well. I would claim it's the best 
I, I would claim it's the best sparkling wine in the world. I, I'd be very happy to stay, stand up and say that. I would. I, I love it. If I ever I see an English fizz on, on the menu, I always choose it. Yeah. So, so if you're listening to this programme, why on earth are you buying French champagne? Just asking. Especially, you know, I know this is, I know this is November, but, you know, we're, we're coming up to Christmas. If you do have some, some you know, fancy some lovely celebratory sparkling fizzy stuff you really should be looking at, at some of these great brands you've you've won some awards haven't you at Turlingham uh yeah so our, our most recent uh, is a silver at the independent english wine awards for our 20 uh, 2019 wine and this sparkling. is a, a family that what you know just wandered yeah. over didn't know what the hell they were doing and you've you've got to that yeah it's our 11th harvest this year we're right in the middle of it now um and it's been an amazing kind of journey um and and for us doing the farming the way we do without the chemicals or the pesticides or herbicides or anything and knowing you can still do it that way and still make wine that tastes great, uh, that's really important to us. proves you can. Um, uh, Karen, your thoughts? It's beautiful colour, isn't it? Lovely, yeah. Lovely light uh, rose colour. Really bright, refreshing acidity, which is really lovely. Yeah. So just turning to you, uh, 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 I can't believe we've only got about five or six minutes left on the programme. I don't know how that's worked. Um, so you you guys do still yes. wine. Yeah. What have you brought with you? So I've brought with me a Pinot Gris and I've brought with me a Pinot Noir Rosé. Ah. So Pinot Gris, a little bit more unusual, I would say. Um, you won't find it in that many places across um, the UK, let alone in Kent. Um a lot of vineyards are uh, obviously sparkling focused, uh, so I have the classic trio that we've talked about. Um, where we're still wine only, we're putting in things that are fantastic for still wine production in the UK. So we're trying to think outside the box a little bit about what can be achieved with still wines. And we've seen already the, the, you know, the incredible things that we can do with sparkling, and we really think that there's potential there for still wines as well. So what about Ortega and Bacchus and some of the other grapes? Are you using those? or? or? Yes, so we... Um, we started out very small. We've got a two-acre site in Maidstone, which is where the Pinot Noir and the Pinot Gris are coming from. We've just expanded, so we've got our new vineyard, which is in Woodchurch, just outside of Ashford. And there we've got more Pinot Gris, more Pinot Noir, but we've also added Ortega and Bacchus in as well. Um, we originally be- began in Maidstone when my father-in-law planted um, 3,000 vines, essentially in his back garden, <laughs> as, as a <laughs> retirement project. Um, and I don't think that he perhaps quite realised just how much work that would be. Uh, Sounds so like the turn lot doesn't yes, it they yeah. all wandered over <laughs> thinking it's going to be but but, it, but it's incredibly technical isn't it it is that's right mm. yeah so we um we fell in love with it when we got involved um both my husband and my father-in-law went to plumpton college as well and they've um now got their education in how to properly manage the vineyard um and it, it's grown from there really so what um what, what, what should we taste should we go for rosé do you think I was thinking of the Pinot Gris, actually. Okay, Pinot Gris, because it's it's uh, the grape, yeah. Do you mind opening the um, Pinot Gris, uh, Karen? Um, Have you thought at Turlingham to to do still wines? I think you do do some, don't you, actually? Yeah, we do. um, We try to do a still and a a white and a rosé every Mm. year, um, depending on whatever the weather throws us. But uh, we do a Bacchus, which is amazing. I'm always so happy to hear when folk are growing Bacchus. It's one of my favourites. And then we have Rondo and Dornfelder. They're two Germanic grapes, um, and we use those for still rosé. Um, or if we get a super hot summer, uh, we can make a red from them. Your thoughts? I've noticed that you've managed to drink every single one of your glasses where we've been having a little taste and then throwing it in the tiny spittoony thing, but you've gone through yours. Well done. Well, 
It's your I'm, job, isn't it? It's my job. I'm also on the train <laughs> rather than being in a Whereas car. Whereas I'm not on the car. So, and, um, <laughs> yeah, so why not? Also my, Do you like your job? I adore my job. But also, <laughs> I like to finish what I'm drinking or eating to show appreciation to oh, the makers. Good. Well, I've, I very much appreciate it. Pinot so Gris. It's very pale in colour, isn't it? I mean, it's mm. straw-like. Um, it's herbaceous on the nose to me. Loads and loads of flavour. It's really flavoursome. I don't normally drink Pinot Gris, actually. I wouldn't choose Pinot Gris as a, a wine I'll I wouldn't buy. either. It reminds me, sometimes um, you can get a profile like this for um, uh, Riesling, actually. Exactly. Oh, it really reminds yeah. me of that a bit. And that's actually funny that you say that because uh, this is exactly the kind of style that we um, set out to make. So obviously uh, Pinot Gris, you can go for an Italian style Pinot Grigio, which is going to have a really good solid backbone of acidity. Um, or you can go for a more kind of Alsatian style Pinot Gris, which is going to have a really smooth, soft acidity. And this is exactly what we've done. And uh, we've given a little hint to that in the style of the bottle. You'll notice it's a yeah. very long, elegant Riesling style bottle as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Very good with um, a little bit of a curry or something, you you know, where, where you've got a little, not saying huge, but a little mm. bit of spice. Well, that, that would yeah, cut maybe the it's got slightly Asian, like the Thai or the Vietnamese. Yeah, so I'd call that slightly more floral than herbaceous, actually. Yeah. Like, mm. so, and that would be perfect with a yeah, with a little Thai bit of a Thai curry. Mm. Mm. Thoughts mm. on that? You? I think it's lovely. It's very flavoursome, and it's got a lovely long finish. Um, it's it's a really lovely wine to be drinking. Um, and I think what you were saying earlier, where in the UK we're learning how to make wine for the terroir and the climate that we have, and I think this is an amazing example being bra- of that. Brave enough to do it, yeah, yeah. Gusborn, thinking of did you do still wine? I can't remember. You do. Yeah, we, we do. I mean, <clears throat> only a tiny amount. So ninety five percent of what we produce is sparkling. Um, but uh, we make a, a tiny bit of single vineyard Chardonnay and Pinot Noir as well, um, and a tiny, tiny amount of rosé. So, Brilliant. Well, um, it's really interesting to have uh, all women, actually, representing all these. Mm. I wasn't expecting that. That's yeah, all it's fantastic. Five women in the studio. Yeah, because mm. alcohol does tend to skew more male, I've noticed, in, in this country. So the fact that it's five women in, in this room is just a lovely, yeah. refreshing... Yeah. So if you haven't really got into English sparkling, you damn well should. So, and it's, it's really easy to get hold of now. So, so, so do try some. Don't be too traditional. It's way better than champagne, in my personal opinion. Um, and also we're starting to get some great still wines. So thank you very much to Jackie Wilkes, Turlingham. Look out for those. You can get it almost anywhere, can't you? Italian Vineyard stuff now? Uh, we're online, so you can online. from our website. Online. There you go. There you go. And we'll have links from the website so you can get hold of that. Um, uh, Laura, Gusborn now is really uh, getting more and more mainstream, you know, in the southeast of England. So I, I get that my weight throws now. Um, Can I? <clears throat> we did one very particular um, special blend, especially for Waitrose. Yeah. Ah. Otherwise, um, the core range, so like the Blonde Blonde 2016 that we're tasting today, that's available on our website. That's not available in Waitrose. Aha, uh-huh. well, that is very nice indeed. And uh, Wayfarer Wines, Karen, again, you're online or is there anyone? Yeah, we're online as well. Great. So we'll have links to every single one of those. We, we really suggest you give it a try. I Don't agree with that. I completely agree. Completely agree with that. Jolly good. Well, um, we're going to end the show, but I think we might carry on. Do you think? Yes, please. It would be rude not to, wouldn't it? We've got a table full of lovely bottles. So, here. yes, it's a shame. But, yes, I don't know what else we do with them, really. So, um, thank you so, so much for my, my three lovely guests. You've been listening to the Food Talk Show, and we're syndicated to radio stations across the UK and further afield, as well as being available on Stitcher, Spotify, Podbeans, iTunes, and the podcast app on your phone. Thank you to my fellow presenter, Jane Payton. 
That was good, wasn't it? It was really good. I have I to say, it. I am feeling a little bit flushed. Are you? Yeah, my cheeks are getting a little bit flushed. So um, maybe mm. we need a cup of coffee. Yes, maybe. Maybe should we do that next week? Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, funny enough, next week we will be talking to Luke Underdown and Grant Robinson about roasting coffee beans and making a great cup coffee um thanks again to the lovely people at producing kent who are our partners and if you want to recommend any future guests who are doing amazing things in the food sector please get in touch with us by emailing us on hello at foodtalk.co.uk don't forget to go onto our website if you want to access um, how to get these amazing wines and i hope you have a great week bye-bye